Before I start the message, let me just uh, answer a question that some of you have seen me up close have been asking, is like, and others that wanted to, but you're too polite to ask, is uh, what's the matter with your eyes? Well, I'll give you the real short version. If you want more details, I'll give them to you afterwards. But uh, some of you may remember four years ago, I had three major surgery that affected my eyes. And one of the long-lasting effects, they said, is your eyelids are starting to droop, and you're going to need to deal with that sometime in the future. Well, four years later, the future arrived, and I had surgery on my eyes this week. And that's why I look like a raccoon. But I feel fine. Tuesday was a rough day when I had surgery, but I feel fine now, and uh, I'm on the mend. So thank you for caring. And uh, for those of you that wanted to crack a joke, thank you for waiting until later. Maybe I'm sure it'll come out. Well, let me ask you a question as we think about our, our look at Acts today. Have you ever been had an experience where everyone around you was completely unified with the same mission? Everyone was locked in together, and you experienced this great feeling of unity. The first thing I think of are like playoff games, like Astros playoff games. Man, that, that just excitement and, and intensity is raised to a, a higher level. Most of the time we stand the whole game, and it's just magical when we're there. The unity is strong, especially when we're playing somebody like the Yankees. Everyone is united in our desire to crush the posers in pinstripes. We've done it over and over again. So, man, we love it. That's unity, but that's, that's really a short-lived unity. It, it passes away and doesn't last much longer than that game. I think a better example of unity of purpose is found here in our communities right after a natural disaster. Bonds are formed. Bonds are developed uh, when we gather together to do the dirty, smelly work of mucking out someone's home after a flood. Friendships are strengthened. When we work side by side to clear away fallen trees after a, a hurricane. And we just feel that sense of unity. And that unity is much longer lived. And like I said, sometimes it creates friendships that last a lifetime. But wouldn't it be nice if we could experience that kind of unity, that kind of common bond day after day, month after month, year after year, on into the future without stop? Wouldn't that be wonderful if we could do that without having a natural disaster to unite us? I know that's a big wish when we think about what's been going on. Our country has lived in tension ever since 2020 and maybe even before that as we just find one thing after another to argue about and fight over. And, and with overseas wars that have become unusually contentious and, um, oh, uh, and an upcoming, another upcoming election season, it seems like, man, how in the world can we ever find unity? Because that tension has found its way into the church as well. Is that a wish that is actually realistic? Could we have a sense of unity, a unity, a togetherness, a oneness, even in the midst of all these, all these issues? Well, let's see. If you have your Bible, I invite you to open it to Acts chapter 4, verse 32. It's uh, in the New Testament of the Bible, so it's three-fourths of the way across your Bible. It's just past the, verse, the first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And uh, those are the four biographies or gospels of Jesus. And then comes the book of Acts. If you don't have a Bible, we'd love to give you one. You can pick one up in the Welcome Center on your way out. We're going to be following along. And also, if you don't have a, a Bible with you right now and you're not following along on the app, then you can just see the words on the screen. Now, we've been working our way through the book of Acts all fall. We've been following the work of the Holy Spirit whom Jesus sent after he ascended into heaven. We've been following the work of the Holy Spirit in the first century church and comparing it to the, today's 21st century church and talking about the possibilities that we could have the unity like they have. If we really want lasting unity in our church, today's story in Acts gives us a blueprint. 
Let's follow along. We'll begin in verse 32 of Acts chapter 4. All the believers were one heart, were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone who had need. What if, what if we could experience a unity like that? Can the unity they experienced then happen now? I'll remind you, Several weeks ago, when we were in Acts chapter 2, we saw a similar wave of generosity sweeping through the church in Jerusalem. It sounds really, really similar to what we read about just now. Now, that was when the church was brand new, and it numbered about 3,000 people. So it was a mega church. The very first church was a mega church. But now, we don't know if this is a, several months or maybe even a few years later as the story is running along, but now the church numbers about 10,000 people. Now, was this generosity that we're reading about, was this a second wave of generosity that swept the church? Or was it normal practice? Was this just how things were? Well, based on a survey of church history, I believe this was normal practice. This was just how it was day after day. And I believe that this lasted well beyond the lives of all of these people we read about at the church in Jerusalem. And it spread across the world as Christianity grew. In fact, unity and generosity described the church of Jesus Christ for the next 300 years as it expanded across the Roman Empire, up into Asia, across into Europe, and down through Africa. Historian Rodney Stark tells us that in those first three centuries that two great epidemics affected large portions of the population. And if people were cared for properly, history shows that most of them survived some of those pandemics. Unfortunately, most people during those early centuries, most people abandoned even their family members when they got sick for fear they would get sick too. Most people, but not the Christians, not the followers of Jesus Christ. They stayed, they took care of their family members and they watched many times them get well. Sometimes they got sick and died as well. But they not only took care of their own families, they also cared for the people that had been left behind. And as a result, the church's unity Generosity grew, the population of the church grew and grew and grew, and the rest of the population began to shrink from people dying because they weren't caring for one another. That sense of love and concern for others, folks, where did it come from? It came from the first century church, the church in Jerusalem. That was the norm for them. Look back at this first church. Let's go back to verse 32 again and look at it. Let's, uh, let's dig down a little deeper here. All the believers were one in heart and mind, no one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. No one includes everyone, okay? This was the poor and the wealthy. Mostly, most of the people were, were, were very poor in that first church. Verse 33, with great power. That's a, that's a word to notice, power. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully, there's that word again, was so powerfully at work in them all. How is it possible for 10,000 people in one church, in one city, that didn't even have a building to gather in? They gathered at the temple courts and mostly in people's homes, what we now call small groups. How is it possible for them to be unified? Well, actually, it's quite simple. 
They believed the gospel. They believed the story of Jesus Christ. The reality of Jesus' resurrection, it empowered the church's unity. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all. They were unified. Now, you need to know that unity doesn't mean uniformity. You know, you can be a brother or sister without being a twin. We can be unified. They were not unified by their hobbies, by their interests, by their social connections, or by their political movements. And there were plenty of political movements with people who felt very strongly and passionately about them. But that wasn't what brought their unity. These were people that had great differences, but they were unified nonetheless. They were utterly committed to the gospel of the risen Jesus Christ. Their unity and generosity grew because they were sharing the gospel. They were telling other people about Jesus. They were united in their belief that Jesus died a sacrificial death to pay for their sins. And that Jesus not only died to pay for their sins, but he came back to life. He was resurrected. And then he sent the Holy Spirit to dwell among them. So they told people about Jesus. They lived in the power of the Holy Spirit. And their numbers kept growing. And as their numbers grew, their needs grew. But that turned out not to be much of a problem. At least not at first. Look at verse 33. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses, these would be the wealthier people in the church. Those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. The resurrection of Jesus Christ, proving that all he said was true and that what he did was necessary, that that empowered their unity. And, that their, and then their unity in Jesus Christ empowered the church's generosity. Now, there's often been a misunderstanding about these early chapters of Acts. People say, well, see, that, was, that justifies communism. That's, that's communism there. No, it's not at all. It's not communism or socialism. Their gifts to support the needs of others was entirely voluntary. It was not the, the state taking ownership and redistributing it. They redistributed their own wealth. And as we'll see later in the book of Acts, private ownership continued in the church. Their unity was around their love for Jesus. Their love for Jesus empowered their love for each other, and their love for each other empowered their generosity. Now, the interesting thing, Luke introduces one of those people who chose to give generously. His name was Joseph. We'll see a lot of this man in the coming chapters. He becomes a major player in the early church and in the missions of the early church. His story starts in verse 36. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles, whom the apostles called Barnabas. That's who we'll, we'll know him by from here forward is Barnabas will be the, his name. Whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. So Joseph was a man of means and he sold a field. The apostles gave Joseph the name, the nickname Barnabas. Now, Tony Merida, a pastor in North Carolina, he asked a probing question that I think would be good for us to ask ourselves. He said, if mature believers, these are believers in Jesus Christ, if mature believers were to look at your life and give you a nickname based on their impressions, what would it be? What would your nickname be? Barnabas was son of encouragement. What would you be called? Son of a what? <laughs> Seriously, though, Okay. Would your nickname have anything to do with generosity or unity 
of the gospel? Barnabas is my hero. In fact, one of our church's core values is reflected in his example. It's our fifth core value. This value is sacrificial generosity over selfish gain. Sacrificial generosity over selfish gain. Here's what we believe. We believe that God's kingdom is greatly impacted when we surrender our time, that's volunteering, our talents, the giftedness we have, and our treasures, that's our wealth, our money. When we surrender that to be used by him, we demonstrate this value in a number of ways. We demonstrate it by promoting an everybody serves culture. You've heard that phrase before, right? Everybody serves. We believe that. Now, let me just say, if you're not a Christian, if you're not a Christ follower, that probably confuses your thing. Why, why, why all this talk about volunteering? You would understand that if you, if you stepped over the line of faith to become a follower of Jesus Christ because Jesus changes you from the inside out. And that actually, that everybody serves also demonstrates another one of our core values, an outward focus rather than a selfish inward look. We promote, we demonstrate this value of sacrificial generosity by promoting an everybody serves culture, by resourcing causes outside our walls. We give away at least 10% of our receipts to other gospel-focused ministries, including one that you're gonna hear about a little bit later today. We demonstrate this value by giving, going, loving, sending, and serving, even when it doesn't make sense. I'll come back to that value in a moment. I wish I could end this story this morning with the story of Barnabas, who practiced sacrificial generosity over selfish gain, but the reality is there was another story that Luke had to tell that occurred right after Barnabas' story, the story of people who instead chose selfish gain over sacrificial generosity. Look at chapter 5, verse 1. Now, a man named Ananias, together with his wife, Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. This couple, Ananias and Sapphira, they wanted the attention that Barnabas received, but without the generosity that he exhibited. They just wanted the attention. They wanted people to think they were really something they demonstrated the same hypocrisy that Jesus called out the Pharisees for over and over again. You act like you're all that, but you're not. And for reasons that I can only guess, right there that day, God struck them both dead. As Ananias laid the gift at the apostles' feet, the apostle Peter, who's the earliest leader of the church, he just could tell, he discerned that they, he had kept back some of the money and he said, how could you lie to the Holy Spirit? And the moment he said that, Ananias just dropped dead. People took him out and buried him. A few hours later, his wife Sapphira came in and Peter said, Did, is this the price you and Ananias agreed on? Is this the price you got for the land? She goes, yeah, it sure is. He said, how could you lie to the Holy Spirit? She dropped dead. The same group of men came, took her out and buried her that day. Like I said, you can read the story See the details and draw your own conclusions. But one thing is clear from this. God was not about to let the church's unity be destroyed by hypocrisy or greed. God purified his people that day. He purified his church for the good of others who would come to believe in the future. And you know what? In spite of that just tragic and frightening story, the church kept growing. Look, at verse, look down to verse 12. The apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people, and all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. That's by the temple. 
No one else dared join them. Hey, wonder why. <laughs> no one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. That's called the fear of God. People had the fear of God there. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. The fear of God, the Proverbs tell us, leads to wisdom. And then people began to see what God was doing was real. And they saw the unity and the generosity of these apostles and of all, and of all the church members, the thousands of church members, and they wanted to be a part of that. And they found that unity, that generosity comes in a relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's what happens today when we allow the message of the gospel to work its way deep into our hearts. It changes us. It frees us from wanting the attention of other people. It frees us from pretending. It, it, it frees us from, from wanting to lie, cheat, or steal. We just don't want to do that anymore. And it sets our minds not on our current circumstances, which may or may not be good, which may be terrible, but it sets our minds not on our current circumstances, but the picture, the bigger picture that we sang about before I stepped up here. It sets our minds on the glory that is to come. We were created not for time, but for eternity. And when that unity happens all across the church as the gospel works its way into everyone's hearts, it changes our church. It changes us. As a church here in the 21st century, in a very similar way, it unifies and inspires us to tell others about Jesus Christ. And then as we do that, our numbers grow as they are doing right now. We are past the COVID experience. And our, not rapidly, but our numbers are steadily growing right now. Our baptisms are up this fall over last fall. In this past three months, we baptized twice as many people in these last three months as we did this time last year. And as our numbers grow, our needs grow. And the opportunities to help others and serve others grow. That's happening too. In church, I just need to make you aware of those needs so that your generosity can grow to meet them. While our church has been growing, especially our preschool, our children, our preteen, and our student ministries, our giving has not. Now, we all know something. We all know that we're experiencing a high degree of inflation. We haven't experienced this much inflation since I was a young man. And so a lot of folks are holding back. Our tithes and offerings this year in 2023 at Brazos Point are less than they were in 2022, even though our numbers are steadily increasing. And even though we had another record world missions offering. Actually, I interact with a lot of pastors through my role with the North American Mission Board. And this is the story of all of our churches across South Texas. And I'm sure it's, it's, it's this way with most, country, most churches across the country. Our missions offerings are all up as we give outside of our church. But gifts to, that, to the churches are actually down right now. And unless we have a Christmas miracle here at Brazos Point, I need to let you know we expect to spend about $125,000 more by the end of this year than we receive. Now, as you let that sink in, it's not a time for panic, and I'll tell you why. We're actually in sound financial shape because for 23 years, we have practiced the principles of stewardship and money management and handling money and generosity that we find here in the Bible. We start by giving away at least 10% or more of our offerings to other causes, to other ministries that help the poor and share the gospel. Not because we're commanded to. Nowhere in the Bible does it command churches to give away 10%, but it is a model of giving. It is a great place to start, and that's what we as a church have done since our very beginning. And we've also built up an emergency fund like you'll hear about if, or you heard about if you go through our financial peace class. 
So we are able to cover the shortfall this year. But I'd like to see the unity and generosity in this fellowship mirror the unity and generosity of this early church we read about today so that we don't have to use those reserves. I believe what happened in Jerusalem in the first century can happen now here in Brazoria County if we unify around the gospel. It's not the money, it's the gospel. It's the story of Jesus' resurrection that gives us power for living that we unite around. And remember our core value, though, of sacrificial generosity over selfish gain. We will, as a church, continue to live by that principle. We will not cut our percentages of giving to other missions. Even if our income is down, then our giving will be down a little bit, but it will still be at that 10% level at least. And we will not back away from planting Story Church in Northwest Houston next year. We will give, go, love, send, and serve even when it does not make sense. It doesn't make sense in a human sense, but it makes lots of sense in a supernatural sense when we're led by the Holy Spirit. Let me tell you why. It didn't make sense in 2012 when we were just beginning our fundraising campaign to build this building. This was just a a wooded piece of property back in 2011, 2012. It didn't make sense that same year to go and plant a church in Galveston while we were trying to raise funds to build this building. It didn't make sense to send away some high-capacity volunteers and big givers and some of our staff to go over to Galveston to start a church when we were trying to build this building, but we did it anyway. And Coastal Community Church was born. Coastal Community Church is now the strongest, healthiest, and probably the largest and most gospel-centered church on the island. And because we followed God's leading and demonstrated sacrificial generosity over selfish, uh, whatever I came really into that, over selfishness, um, because we focused on that, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people have come, people that we would have never reached from here in Missouri County, have come to faith in Jesus on the island because of that sacrificial generosity. It didn't make sense, but we believed that God was in that. We believed God was telling us to do that. It doesn't make any more sense now when our giving is down to send another group of people, including staff and high-capacity volunteers and their giving to Northwest Houston to plant a church in that really rapidly growing area called Bridgeland. It doesn't make sense when our giving is down to do that, but we're going to do that because we've been praying about this for years and we know that the timing is right and there's so much serendipity or assurance from all the things that are happening right now that that is the right thing to do. So we're going to plant that church because we believe God is leading the way and that we believe that he will provide what we need through you to keep sharing the gospel with our neighbors here in Missouri County, the nations, and the next generation. That is a picture of selfish generosity, of selfless generosity over selfish gain. <laughs> oh no, I couldn't get that out. Alliteration. Giving, going, loving, sending, and serving, even when it doesn't make sense. And it may not make sense to you, but when the gospel works its way deep into your heart and you experience that gratitude of what Jesus has done for you, then you begin to have an outward focus and you begin to want to be generous. I'm not asking you to do anything Kathy and I have not done and have not been doing. We have been giving at least 10% of our income ever since we married to the church and on top of giving to other ministries 
like Texas Port Ministry that you're going to hear about in a moment. We've been doing that. Not because we're commanded to. I don't believe that the New Testament requires a tithe or 10%. But I believe it is a pattern that we see of good stewardship. We see in Old Testament and New Testament. As a matter of fact, the pattern in the New Testament was generally a lot more probably than 10%. That's why we see it as a starting point. Sure, we have made some decisions where we had to cut back on some things at times. But looking back over our lives, Kathy and I don't feel like we've missed out on anything. Our boys don't feel like they missed out on anything. And we don't regret it. We'd do it again. So I'm asking you to join us and a lot of other people. And those of you that already give sacrificially, thank you for your gifts. Thank you so much. God is using those to grow the kingdom and share the gospel. But I'm asking you to join us in sacrificial giving. And it may not make sense to you if you've been giving but you've been holding back. It may not make sense to you if you haven't been giving to start now. But all I can say is you can never outgive God. I learned that a long, long time ago. I don't know who said this next statement, but it holds true. Generosity is an act of faith that says there's always more where that came from. And that has always been true for me and Kathy. And that has always been true for this church. I'll close with the Apostle Paul's appeal to the church that he planted in the Greek city of Corinth. Talking to the church, encouraging their generosity. Now, many years after this church in Jerusalem, uh, this story that we're reading about, he said, each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in, not riches, that's the prosperity gospel, that's not real, so that you will abound in every good work. That's better. Let's pray. God, I thank you for giving us the opportunity as a church to be involved in sharing the good news that you brought to us through other people with our friends, our neighbors, the nations, and now the next generation. I thank you for the generosity of our parent church, First Baptist Church of Lake Jackson, for sending us out with no strings attached, trusting us to share this gospel that had been entrusted to them and then entrusted it to us. And I thank you for that. God, I thank you for the people that, that give of themselves, several of whom are, are on the mission field right now. Others who are preparing or praying about leaving and, and, and moving to help start the church in Bridgeland in Northwest Houston. God, help us to really believe and trust you the sacrificial generosity is the way to go. That's the way to experience unity and real joy in life and the way that we can help others. God, help us to grow in serving with our time. God, help us to find ways to use the talents that you have given us to bless others. And Father, help us to be generous with our treasures because we know there's always more of that where it came from, from you. Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. Thank you, God. Thank you that we can never outgive you. Lord, help us realize that and prove it over and over again. Wes is in Jesus' name. Amen.